lesson in my life. I'm going to do the ultimate drop, drop the mic for you. Ready for this? Because I, I think it's for everybody too. The number one lesson I think in life is this. When, you, when I pray for Jesus to come, I have a very distinct way I expect him to come. Like I have decided in my mind how he should come. I've decided in my mind when he should come, and I am certain that he should apply to my rules as to the when and the how he should come. The lesson is he don't ever do it that way. Have you figured that one out? Like the distance between me praying for how he should come and him actually coming is a magnitude of a mile wide and the, the 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 moment the space of spiritual maturation in our lives is how do we bridge the gap from how we expect him to come and how he actually comes I'm I'm convinced of this. If you want to really tell how spiritually mature somebody is, make them wait for something. And I'm not talking about your latte at Starbucks. I'm not talking about the tunnel traffic trying to get through the HRBT. I'm saying when you have contended for something, you have heard God speak that this thing will be so, and then heaven just waits. You want to see how mature somebody is? Make them wait for that. How we handle unmet expectations in waiting. That might very well be heaven's primary tool. I mean, it's what David's saying about for 37 chapters in the book of Psalms. I waited on the Lord. Because there's something that gets formed in you when you got to wait than when you get it right away. And I have found this to be true. He never comes as fast as I want him to come. I mean, the old saints used to say, child, he never early. He never late. He always right on time. The problem is his time and my time were never the same time. And the Advent is not just about him coming, though it is. It is about how we wait for him to come. And how do we navigate when then he does come, but it's just different than the coming that we thought he would come. Seven years ago, roughly, uh, uh, we, my wife and I and our family began discerning God was up to something in our life and had some transitions in store for us in ministry. And then the Lord uttered those uh, epic four-letter word, you're going to wait. And year one didn't happen like I thought. And year two didn't happen like I thought. And year three didn't happen. Are you sensing the trend here? Year four didn't happen like I thought. Year five didn't happen. And in that space, I was lamenting, complaining, and darn near cussing out God for not fulfilling the thing that he said he would come to do. 
And the Lord said, it is not about me coming. It's about your heart formation. Because Advent isn't just a sacred season that we celebrate about the theological truth of him coming to us. That is true. But it's a spiritual formation moment where Advent forces us into the constraints of waiting for promises that we would actually look like the God whom we're waiting for. This is what Advent is. Advent is nearly entirely about God fulfilling promises differently than anybody else thought he would fulfill it as. 900 years before the moment of his birth, the prophets are declaring he's coming. Nearly 6,000 years before that in the Garden of Eden, he said, I'm going to send somebody. And he came... And nobody caught it. Not because he didn't come, but because he came on a donkey, not on a horse. Because he came as a servant, not as a king. And I wonder how often have we, in our own lives, in our marriages, in our jobs, in our ministries, in our places, in our stuff, have we missed his coming? Not because he didn't come, it's just that he came later than we thought, and he came in a different way than we thought. And here is the battle, is can we continue to remain in a posture of faith even when we're waiting? Can you keep singing your song of faith even when you can't see that thing happening? Can you continue to pray and contend even when that thing is not transpiring? And can you continue to say, God, you are good, even when we see that he's done something, we just don't like how he did it. That is the song of faith of Advent. You see, everybody is going to wait. You are going to wait. Whether you like it or not, you are going to wait. The question is not, are you going to wait? Will you wait in faith? Will you wait with a hush, with a posture of faithfulness in the current assignment until the fulfillment comes? And then will you continue to serve when the promise does come, just not how you thought? Can you still declare he's good, he does good? Can I, I, yes, I am waiting, but I will wait in faith because the difference is this. I can wait, the promise can come, and I can still have the promise, but if I don't wait in faith through that time, I won't get the fullness when it does come. And I'm convinced heaven isn't just interested in you getting the promise that is said. Heaven wants you to have the promise in its fullness. Somebody say fullness. And I'm not talking about fullness like Thanksgiving pants. Fullness in the intended purpose of the promise to begin with is what heaven means. We are endeavoring over the next four weeks a sermon series called The Songs of Advent. Advent is a, is, is a sacred season, as you heard, that runs four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. And we will be looking at four songs found in Luke chapter 1. Four individuals, four, four songs emerge that give us not some theological truth, though it does, but give us some practical take-home, change the way you change diapers and do dishes kind of life, the way you're going to 
be different in your classrooms, in your business places, kind of songs to sing that I believe can and will shape the trajectory of our lives in our church. And the first song that we are looking at is Zachariah's song, A Song of Faith. If you're taking notes, write this down. That is today's title of today's sermon. Now, Zechariah 1, verses 67 through 79 will be our primary text. You already heard it read through the Advent reading. I'm not going to reread that text. We are going to pick it apart, though, through the sermon. Just to give a little context for us who may not be familiar with the story. It centers around a, a guy named Zechariah. He is old. I can say that because he said that about himself. And Zechariah is also married to an old lady. I can say that because he called her old too. Zechariah is a priest. Back when God was establishing Israel, he said one particular family line is going to be the priest of the, all the family of Levi. And if you are born in the family of Levi, you are a priest. Zechariah was that. He was a son of the family line of Levi. And his wife, Elizabeth, also was from the family line of Levi. So they, they are like the super Levite family. At the time of, Le of, 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 of Zechariah's life, nearly 2,000 priests of this line would serve the temple. There were so many of them that you would have to wait 50 weeks and every person who was in that line, like Zacharias, would only be able to serve in the temple for two weeks a year. The rest of the weeks you are farming, you are selling stuff, you are making stuff, doing whatever. In Luke chapter 1, it opens up with Zacharias, probably about 80 years old or so, serving his two weeks in the temple. And he's divinely then chosen to be the one who goes into the Holy of Holies to burn incense. And when he does, Gabriel shows up and says, Zachariah, I will give you, the Lord is going to give you a baby. And Zachariah says, nuh-uh. Gabriel's like, yeah, for real, for real. Real talk. You will have a baby. Zachariah says, nuh-uh, but we old. And then Gabriel says, this will be a sign to you. Your wife's going to bear a child. But because you did not believe, because you sang a song of doubt, not a song of faith, you are not going to talk for nine months. We'll come back to this in a moment. And our text in verse 67 is just after the baby comes Zacharias names the child. We'll talk about this. And then the first thing that he does is he sings this song. And in his song, we see three refrains. A song of faith required for a different who, a different when, and a different how. Here's our roadmap for the rest of the evening. The morning. A different who, a different when, and a different how. First lesson, first refrain in this song of faith. If you're taking notes, write this down. Faith for a different who. This is what I mean by that. Sometimes our song of faith begins by simply believing that he will come to us. Sometimes we just start believing that though I'm old and though I'm barrenless, he still can come to my chaotic, self-induced, jacked-up self. Advent song of faith begins to believe that he will come not to the theological world, not to the Christian world, not to every believer, but he will legit come to my life. 
to the chaotic mess that I've got myself in, he'll come to it. To the, to the jacked up thing I just did last week, he'll come to me still. That there are no disqualifiers to him coming to your life. There's no special elite that he'll come to. It's special uh, uh, those who are disqualified. There are, there, are, there are not his favorites. We are all his favorites. And he will come to whomever is willing to receive. And even sometimes he comes to those who don't want to receive him. His coming is not about you. It's about him. He comes because that's just what he does. He comes. When you were yet a sinner, New Testament says, he still came to you. When you were in darkness, he came to you. When you were in your sin, he came to you. And how often do we make ourselves so great that we think I or we can disqualify ourselves from him coming to us? And a song of faith begins with this statement, yes, I'm old, yes, I'm barren, but still he can come to me. Look what he says in his opening, his opening song, the very first out of, thing out of Zechariah's mouth, verse 68, praise be to the Lord God of Israel because he has come. He didn't just come, he came to redeem them. This word come that Luke uses for Zechariah's song is this word that means to look upon, to help, to benefit, to have care for, or to provide. Zechariah is saying, he came for me. He, he came to me. He, he came for me. And I was one who physically couldn't do it. I was one who socially was cast aside. You see, in Zechariah's day and age, not only was he old, but for a woman not to have a child was considered a social disgrace. In fact, in Hebrew culture, Zechariah was allowed to divorce Elizabeth for the sake of not having a child and marry whomever else he wants. Because it was that important. Now, he doesn't. He stays with her. He loves her because there's a prophetic promise around this. But Zechariah is saying, I should be disqualified. I'm old. I'm disgraced. In fact, many would have said he was cursed before God because his wife couldn't have a child. All of these things are wrapped around Zechariah's mind. And yet he says, he came to me. Where have you disqualified yourself from his coming? And thus not receive the fullness of what you could have. Somebody put a label on you and you believe it. Somebody posted something about you, you believe it. Some gossip happened about you around your back, behind your back, or in front of your face in school or at your job, and you believe it. And somehow you think that means you can't receive a fresh coming here in 2023. Maybe he came so long ago, you just think, man, he came to me 30 years ago, but I'm not sure that really he can come to old folk. I'm not really sure he can come to black folk. I'm not really sure he can come to white folk. I'm not really sure he can come to Ohio State. No, he can't come to anybody in Ohio State. I'm sorry. What have you disqualified yourself from that today heaven needs to break your disqualifying lid over your head? Or maybe, or maybe heaven's not going to break it. Maybe heaven's waiting for you to take it off. Because maybe that's a lid that only you can take off. 
Where, where do you need to say, come to me? Adam and Eve, where are you at? Hiding in the garden. He came to him. Israel, enslaved. He came to him. Disciples, Denied, betrayed, ignored, hiding in fear behind a locked door, he came to him. You see, his coming isn't actually about you, it's about him. This is just what he does, he comes. And there's no barrier, there's no demographic, there's no social status, there's no ethnic status, there's no financial status, there's no educational status that qualified you more or less, he just comes. And can you receive the fact that he just comes to you? Period. Where have you put the lid over his coming? Advent teaches us that your unstable environment, your lack of degree or indebtedness for your 17 degrees, your job, your initials, marital status, it don't matter what it is, does not keep him from coming to your life. And Advent teaches us everybody's qualified for him to come. I don't know that it's, as we'll talk about, the most important part of the song of faith, but it is surely the beginning to believe that he can come. Turn to somebody on your right or on the feet, type it in and say, he's coming to you. It's faith for a different who. The song of faith, however, has a second refrain, and it's faith for a different win. You see, if we're going to sing a song of faith about Advent and coming, we must have a song that can endure, first off, the length of time it takes for him to come. And secondly, we must have a song that isn't all just about us, but has the generations in view. Look how, look what, what, what Zechariah does here now. After he declares that, that, that God has come, he says in verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation, which is a sign of strength and man of war in the house of his servant David. Now catch this. The first thing out of, out of, out of Zechariah's mouth is he talks about heaven coming not just in the nine months that he got the promise. He pulls back on King David, which was probably about 1,200 years prior to this moment. 1,200 years he's pulling on a promise that God is now fulfilling. But he doesn't stop there. He continues, and then he talks about, as spoken through the holy prophets, I could see him referencing Isaiah, which would have been 900 years prior to this. And then he goes all the way back to Abraham. Verse 72, do show mercy to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Father Abraham. And he's not just talking about the song, Father Abraham had many sons. No. What church y'all grow up in? Did you learn learn that song? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. Okay, thank you. I feel better now. Okay. Probably 4,000 years before this moment. Three or four. You see, Zechariah is first off declaring God's perfection in his timing. That's why the saints would say he's always right on time. 
It's not just because he has a time frame. It's because he has a divine purpose. And his timing always matches his divine purpose. Every one of the advents of God had perfect timing. Verse 80 is, is, is declared about, about John the Baptist. In some translations says that he was in the desert until the day or the moment of his manifestation. Jesus even said to his own mama, she was an Italian, he said to her, it ain't my time, ma. When Jesus was asked about his second advent, what did he say? There's a time and a purpose that only the Father knows. And Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, came at the perfect fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. And every time we see heaven come, it's always about the right time. And the thing is, is he's perfect in the choosing of when he comes. Every biblical scholar, for the most part, lands on this truth. That the time that Jesus came, in terms of the Roman Empire, in terms of the Pax Romana, in terms of Roman roads that could carry the message of the gospel better than 264, was the perfect moment in human history for him to come. You see, it wasn't about, it wasn't about 4,000 years ago alone. It wasn't that he was just slow on the uptake. It wasn't that he gave a promise and forgot about it. It was that he was waiting for the perfect fulfillment of the promise to come. And our song of faith, after we get over the first part of can he come to me, it's I trust the timing of when you will come. Because there's purpose in it. And these seven-year processes, I was working with the Lord and things. I, I, I'm like, Lord, when are you coming? Like, when is this when? When, when, when? And I, I, I sensed the Lord. He's made this statement to me. He said, Joel, either my leadership is perfect or it isn't. You choose. Which one? Like there's no middle ground in this. Either I am perfect in the way that I'm going to lead your life in the fulfillment of time, or I'm not. Which one shall you believe? Can you wait like David for 16 years in and out of caves? Can, can you wait like Jesus for 30 years to the fulfillment of the moment? Can you wait like Jesus waits now for 2,000 years in heaven waiting for the fulfillment of his promise to come? Can we wait in alignment with heaven's plan? And the song of faith keeps singing and declares, you are good even if the timing is off. You are perfect in all of your ways, even when your ways are slower than mine. But it's not just about his perfection and his timing. It's about his faithfulness and the promises. If you're taking notes, write this down. When God speaks, he thinks in generations. He rarely ever gives a promise in which its fulfillment is in totality your life. In fact, I would argue if the promises that he gives us are just in my span of 70, 90, or 100, or 150 years, however long you're going to live, how small of a God who gives promises is that? 
When the psalmist says he's faithful to generation to generation, he's not just talking about one generation sees his faithfulness and then another and another. It's that there's a thread that the promises of Father Abraham are fulfilled in the promises of the sons of Zechariah. What if you are missing the fulfillment of your song of faith of the promises because you've made it all about you? And how are you singing your song of promise, not just for your life, but for your grandchildren's lives? And what if you stand at 97 years old, upset and frustrated with God because you didn't see all the promises when he never meant to do all the promises in your life? They were given to your great, 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 great grandkids. And how are you now at age 40, at age 50, at age 60, at age 25 and 19 learning to sing a song that isn't about your generation but about another? Maybe it's a God child. Maybe you're a kid's hope or an LEC mentor and what you are doing now is for the next generation for them. What if you're a foster parent who's bringing a kid in and the promises over his life that he or she's going to get is something that God gave to you for them? What if you're a middle school or kid life small group leader in our church and there's a promise in your family line that isn't going to happen in you. It's going to happen in somebody else's kid that you have mentored into. See, Zachariah here prophesies the fulfillment didn't start with him but started a long time ago. Through this journey, these seven years, roughly, about three and a half, four years into it maybe, I don't know. No, before that. Uh, my wife and I think we're moving and we're going to Jordan to become global workers there. And we're walking up the streets the last night in Amman. And we're praying, ministry been really great, wonderful, all the stuff. And the Lord asked me this question. You know, ministry had been good, but we hadn't heard the yes, go kind of thing, right? We're walking, and the Lord says this question to me. He says, where's your inheritance? Well, inheritance is something you get from somebody else, right? Generally speaking, an older person. Like, I feel, I told Avery this, I feel like the Lord is saying no to Jordan. My inheritance, aside from my father who was a pastor for 45 years was my grandfather, who in South Central L.A. for 35 plus years pioneered a multi-ethnic church in the Watts District. Maybe the Lord is saying something about a multi-ethnic church for us here, Avery. Can we live unto that? So now fast forward, and I'm, and I'm beginning to dream a little bit through this transition about what God might have for our church, what we as a collective family amongst many campuses might see Hampton Roads transpire, and I'm beginning to dream a little bit, God, you can do this and this, that, and the other, and I'm finding that I am dreaming in a vacuum. And I sense the Lord say to me, son, stop it. Some of the promises that I'm going to fulfill the next 30 years at New Life didn't start with you. It started in a prayer meeting in South Dakota with a guy named Dan and Rhonda Backens when they were 15 and 19 years old praying. 
It started with a pastor named Kevin Turpin in Buffalo praying through some stuff. It started in a Greenbrier location 25 years ago with a guy named Melvin and Denise and others praying and the Demilios and others who prayed something out. You aren't going to see something in your life that just started with you. Can you get your eyes generationally up? I'm thankful for the elder statesmen and women in this house and Pastor Dan and Kevin who pioneered promises and I believe some of the things we will see in the future happen because they prayed 35 years ago. What if your advent is wrapped up around your generational transference to somebody else? Where's your inheritance? And it may not be in your lifetime. Here's my homework assignment for you today. How are you positioning the next generation for the promise you're contending for right now? How are you defining the fulfillment and success of God doing that promise in your life, but in a nine-year-old right now? How, parents, are you parenting your children unto the greater promises he's given you? Grandparents, how are you doing such? Middle school volunteers and breakfast club volunteers and youth group volunteers, how are you positioning this church's next generation for something that he gave your grandpa? That's the different win. Yes, our own timing, but we teach our own children and grandchildren and spiritual children how to grab hold of something, how we waited that they may wait for themselves. But it's not just about a different who. It's not just about a different when. But the song of faith of Advent has a different how. Heaven's Advent so often is fully received, not in the when and the who, but in the how, because he just always breaks the mold of how we think he's going to do it. I mean, he's so stubborn. Just refuses to do it the way I think he should do it. His promise comes in a package. It just didn't come from the same sending agency we thought. I thought it would come FedEx and it came UPS. I thought it was a big massive box and it was in a little envelope. And he waited till it was on sale and clearance to send it to me. See, our song of faith is pivotal. Prior, during, and after his coming. Because if we're going to lay hold of the fullness of this promise, we've got to lay hold of the how. Now, Zechariah initially begins to sing about the coming Messiah. But then in verse 76 through 79, he shifts to his own child, John the Baptist. Elizabeth, his cousins, to Mary. John the Baptist, cousin to Jesus. And he begins singing about his own advent in this manner. And he says this in verse 76, And you, speaking to John the Baptist, who's now born, remember, my child... You will be called a prophet of the Most High. This harkens back to what Gabriel said to him in verse 17, speaking prophetically, the angel is of John the Baptist, 
that he will go forth, on, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now here is the problem. Priestly dad, priestly wife gives birth to a what? A priest is what they're supposed to. This is not hard biological science. A priest, husband, priest, wife give birth to a priest child. Priests don't give birth to prophets. And prophets don't give birth to priests. Prophets give prophets. Priests beget priests. But God here through, God here through, through Gabriel says, no, 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 I'm going to come to you. And it's going to be what you've waited for for 80 years. But priestly Zechariah, priestly Elizabeth, I'm going to give you a prophet. Can you align to the advent even when you get a prophet when you thought it was going to get a priest? Can you say yes when that job comes differently than you thought? Can you say yes to that divine assignment when the Lord said promotion and then you got fired? And then he puts you in a different workplace. Can you say yes then? Can you say yes to my prodigal coming home? It just came home a different way. Can you say yes to the ministry door? He opens up. It just came a different way. Can you say yes to the relationship answer when it came a different way? Can you say yes to the healing when it comes a different way? Can we say yes even if he gives you a prophet and you wanted a priest? Oh, 80 years you dreamed about a priest. 80 years you prayed about a priest. 80 years you wrote priest name down on your wall. And Gabriel's come saying, no, I'm going to be a prophet. Can you say yes then? Can you say yes then? Even when his advent breaks your box. Now in Luke 1, Gabriel shows up and says to Zechariah, you're you going to get a prophet. And Zechariah says, who are you talking to, Willis? <laughs> and, and the angel says, because you didn't believe in faith. And I, I, I'm not certain all that Zechariah didn't believe was about the age. I think this whole premise of a prophet going to come broke his mind. And he says, I'm going to shut your mouth until you can align with what I'm doing. Now, I want you to catch this. I do not believe Zechariah's muteness was punishment. I believe it was protection. I believe God said, your mouth is so important for you to align. I'm going to protect you from you. I'm not going to let you talk until you can say yes to what I'm doing. And if I got to shut your mouth, if I got to get you to a new job, if I got to get you somewhere else so that you can inhabit the fullness of what I have, I will do it. Sometimes God's grace shuts your mouth. Now notice what happens in the text. He's mute. Now babies take nine months to grow. For nine months, I think, I think Zechariah is pondering this moment. Will I say yes? 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 And then the baby's born. That's what babies do. And they bring him a writing tablet. He's mute. He's mute. He's mute. And what does he do? He should write the name Zechariah on it. What does he do? He writes John. Signifying I'm saying yes to what he's doing. And the moment the priest writes the prophet's name down, he begins to prophesy over the very prophet he's going to bring. And then his mouth is loose to say yes to the thing of God. 
Where are you right now in your life that heaven's advent has come, you just have yet to say yes to it? You've rejected the coming because it didn't look like you wanted it to come. And Maybe today, if I can get my team, my singers and musicians up, please. We've got to land this plane. Maybe today, in order for you to get your advent that's already come to your home, to your family, to your job, you've got to be willing to say yes to it. And maybe he shut your mouth over a time and you've seen it as punishment. You know, when, when, when we can't say yes to how he's doing it, we make accusations about him that reject our ability to receive it. And so he's going to say to you, I'm going to shut this mouth until we can say yes to it. And now out of that place of trust that you can trust my how and my when, now you can get the fullness. And that's the fullness of your faith song. Here's where I want to land the plane today. Maybe you're at home, you're in the room, and you would say, yeah, 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 he's come, but I am struggling with how he came. I put my whole life around getting a priest, and I got a prophet, and I have yet to receive this prophet as my child. I believe this Advent's for you. This Advent, 2023, It's for you in a fresh way to say yes to how he came even when it was different. If you would say, yeah, that's me. I need a grace to receive the different kind of how. Would you stand up right where you are? Come on. A fresh grace for the how all over the room. If you're at home, please write this in the feed so we can pray for you. Come on, a fresh how, a fresh yes to the how, a fresh yes to the how. Open up your hands right now. Father, I pray over these, your people, that they would receive the grace, the trust, and the manner by which you come to them. I pray against doubt. I pray against fear. I pray against a rejection of your advent that they would know that you've come and you've come to them in the perfect manner. And a song of faith and trust would arise to receive your coming. 